thanks for thanks for coming out to this. Yeah, this has been awesome. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun here, and uh, it's uh, I feel it's good being around these these folks who I have not had a lot of time to hang out with. Finally, yeah. being able to see them and talk and we we um we have we have this conversation a lot. Uh, we, we were we were having it on the Engadget podcast for a while, and the, and the kind of the, the lead up to and the, the aftermath of, of CES every year where we kind of ask ourselves whether it's necessary to have conventions anymore, right? I mean, everything, especially tech conventions. I mean, that seems, you know, it's, it seems a little, I, I don't know if irony is the right word, but, um, you know, where technology is supposed to let us do all this telecommuting, see everything online, it's, it's, I guess, sort of surprising that there are still so many of these around that people are flying out to be in person. Yeah. Well, you know, um, this, this was like, I, I interviewed Peter Lamborn Wilson. Do you remember? Do you know who he is? He wrote a book called Temporary Autonomous Zone. Oh, yeah. I've read Taz. Yeah, Hawking yeah, sure. Bay is like his yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, alter ego. Yeah, yeah. This, oh, I well, interviewed, you, yeah that's, a name you, that's a name you lead with. I would have yeah. uh, recognized yeah. it. So I interviewed him like, oh, man, 20, at least probably close to 20 years ago for a print oh, wow. issue of Boing Boing. And I was all excited about at the time, like virtual reality isn't going to be great. Yeah, he's like, no, not really. He said, it's just another mediated interference between human communication, mm. and that unmediated experiences are really where it's at, and yeah. what are, it's going to be perceived as being more valuable and more precious as time goes on. Yeah. and so this is what this is: is you know, face to face meeting people. That's something, honestly, that no one can replicate. And I think that's one reason why bands make so much money touring, because that's a non-replicable experience. Yeah. You can copy it and, you know, you can record it and stuff, but that's not the experience. Being there with people, bumping into people, you know, breathing the stale air, getting a sore throat, all that yeah. is, like, part of the experience of, of, of what it's about. So it's great, really. Yeah, that's... I, I, I had a... Uh, I spoke to, to Reggie Watts yesterday and, and had that conversation. I mean, that, this is <coughs> I mean, everything about Reggie Watts fascinates me. Obviously, yeah. you know, from 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 the combat boots on up. Um, but one of the things in particular that I keep coming back to that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around is somebody who um, a writer is somebody who has spent a lot of time writing about uh, live shows. Um, somebody who, who you know, basically, it's my job to catalog things. Um, it is the value of, especially in this day and age when everybody can record something. And people, you know, you, you go to a concert now and everybody's holding up their cell phone. Is is the value in having something that only exists for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is, and it is kind of crazy when you do go to a live event and you see everybody holding up their cell phones. Yeah. And just staring at the screen of the phone rather yeah. than the event. And it's not nearly as good as the cameras that are rolling then. You could buy the DVD or watch it on YouTube later and see it much better. Just enjoy yeah. the Yeah, the what are you doing with that, too? You know, I yeah, mean, you exactly. know, where's, where's that? Obviously, you're not going to have the best footage. Um, it, it's interesting, though, when you talk about these, these mediated and, and unmediated experiences because... Um, obviously, there's still some some progress being made in the fields of, of the field of virtual reality, but it seems like augmented reality is kind of the thing now, right? I mean, yeah. Google Glass is the um, has, has been kind of the you know the hot tech item for the past two years, and that's 
that takes an interesting approach to mediated reality in that um, you're still having that personal experience, but there's still something standing between you and the mm-hmm. other person. Yeah. I actually, I mean, I consider Yelp a form of augmented reality. Mm. And I, I yeah. use it a lot, especially because I'm traveling yeah. around and it's nice to be able to find out what's going on, where you can go for coffee, good coffee and yeah. things like that. And, and I, I usually don't trust hotel concierges or people in hotels a lot of times to tell me where I should go. They'll say, oh, you know, there's a Starbucks or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Is so yeah, is there value, though, in um, you know, putting Yelp away and just walking down the street and finding a place? Um, there is, but what I find, like, if I, I use Yelp to find, like, I usually, when I go somewhere, like, to check out used bookstores. So yeah. I use Yelp to get to a used bookstore. Okay. And then once you're there in that area where used bookstores, usually around that area is going to be interesting. Yeah. And yeah. so that then, then I can put the phone away and just kind of walk up and down the street and see what's there. Yeah, it's, but used bookstores are a pretty good example of um, one of the last really few things that, that's left in the world where you can just walk in and literally pick things off off the shelf you know and and, and experience these things without any 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 preconceived notion i mean that, that's a game that i used to play a lot more when i was younger and i feel like i should continue to play it a bit more as an adult you know to just to just pull books off the shelf and yeah. to, to open them up and to to read it's so good to do that. It, it, I love it's a it. Knowledge, I mean, it's a knowledge that you're never going to be able to read all of these things. <laughs> so a little, you know, maybe a little random, random chant. I mean, what was, what was the last time you? What was the last time you did that? I mean, it's harder. It's getting harder and harder to do that because everything is curated now. Yeah, and you're a curator. Yeah. That's one of yeah. your main jobs. Yeah. So I guess as as a kind of a curator, I I feel like it's it's just my natural curiosity to go to places like used bookstores and and see what is there yeah. and, and find things like that. I think the, the last used bookstore, the last great used bookstore I went to was Powell's. You, you were oh, just there recently. Oh, yeah. Isn't I, that amazing? I love, yeah, yeah. I could just spend, I could spend all day there every day for a long time. I had a real, I had, I actually had the opposite, also a great experience, but, but the opposite experience was fascinating and, and it's, Unfortunate, I can't think of the gentleman's name or the name of the place, but I was uh, in San Francisco about two weeks ago for that Apple event. And, you know, I, I had about half a day to myself. And San Francisco is amazing for used bookstores. I mean, absolutely amazing. But I had a really unexpected used bookstore experience where um, I was walking down the street and, uh, how to describe this? So, so it looks like... it. The the front looked like a display. Like you know, you know how the front some, of the bookstore. You mean? Well, you, you know how sometimes you'll be wa- you'll be walking past a building and there be there'll be a, a display for a store. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know maybe there'll be like some clothes or something like that. But it's not actually a part of the store. Right. The store is like a door down. Yes. The display was the store. This is a guy who. Um, it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, a form of adaptation really I mean you know the death of the, the printed book the death of just buying books in, in bookstores um, he over the years has been through a number of bookstores and 
one day, I was working in the area, one day I was walking past this woman who was selling um, concert posters out of it. And he's converted this into the bookstore. It's just the display. He sits in this little nook outside, and the store is just that little facade. That's And so you can... I mean, is there glass separating you and the display, or how do you get he, a book? He opens it up, you okay. know, and if it gets too cold, he, uh-huh. he kind of closes himself <laughs> off for, for everything. But it's, 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 it's amazing. I mean, that, I don't know. Maybe that's what it's coming to. You know? it, it's, it seems almost like a Japanese approach to things, you yeah. know? <laughs> maximizing yeah. the space as much as possible. I heard that independent bookstores are actually doing pretty well. Really? Yeah, and um, I think there's the curation value and used yeah. bookstores are doing really well. There's a great one in L.A. called uh, The Iliad. Next time you're in town, yeah. you'll have to go there. And they, it, It's an amazing... And I it, I go there, it's always crowded. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's part of it. It's, it's that, that unmediated experience of you being in the store and being able to browse is an experience that's so different from searching uh, a books or Amazon or something like that. You get actually seeing the book in your hand yeah, you, the tr- the bandwidth is yeah. much much higher. Yeah, and you know, and the, and I mean, one of the from a print perspective, one of the few really nice things that I think is happening as people are moving towards ebooks um, is this, and I'm seeing this all in comics actually. This is um, both through like really sort of specialty, really small houses, and then some larger ones, um, Fantagraphics, Run Quarterly, obviously. Even even up to Pantheon, are and and actually this this sort of comes out of a, a conversation I had with uh, Art Spiegelman. Um, they're more aggressively making beautiful products because of that. Mm-hmm. This is yes. the um, this is the response is uh, let's give people something that you can't get in an ebook. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing that more and more, and I think a really good example of that is the latest book that is conceived of by J.J. Abrams. That's like the main credit on the book. Have you seen this? seen this? Yet. It's called S. And it comes in a, a black cardboard slipcase. You pull it out yeah. and it looks exactly like a used library book. Very well done with an actual paper sticker with the Dewey Decimal System. The cover slightly scuffed and stained. Yeah. The book is called Theseus written by an, a fake author. But as you page through it, there's like all these handwritten notes in the margins. There are postcards. There are like cards with old yellowed newspaper clippings inside so it's got all this ephemera that are stuffed between the pages and that's the that's the, the book. text that's the experience is reading this yeah. the story itself stands on its own i haven't read it but uh, it's like a mystery story or a sea high sea adventure story yeah. but then there's all this other stuff another story taking place it's kind of like this kind of a love story relationship between that's these great. people writing their notes in the margins this is a book that would not be possible to do on an ebook. If someone tried to do it as an ebook, it would suck. Yeah, it'd be like an old CD-ROM, really yeah. bad, and so. So, I mean, he's on, he's onto something here. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really cool, and I can't believe they were able to mass produce it and sell it on Amazon. It was the price is like twenty five, twenty six yeah. bucks. Yeah, but that kind of thing, I, I'd love to see more of that. And just like you said, the beauty of the print. Once you're kind of away from it a little while, you get that reverse culture shock. Like, mm-hmm. wow. A book, like, look what, what's possible with it. You yeah, know? It's, pu- it's pushed people because obviously there are all, all these new possibilities have opened up through tablets. I mean, you know, there are things that you can do. There are, you know, animation is a good example of something that you can do with a tablet that you can't mm-hmm. do with text. So they, they've taken that to the other side. They've, they've said, let's work with this tool set and see what we can do here. That they can't yeah. Do on that side. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, <laughs> I've... 
the, the, funny, the funny thing about this conversation actually is that I, I, I just moved into a new place um, about a week ago uh-huh. and I had to get rid of a lot of books I mean even after getting rid of a lot of books I would say 75 to 80% of the stuff that I moved was, was books um, <laughs> and I and and as much as I love these 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 objects, and you know, and, and I do go back, I do go back to, to comics from, from time to time. I'll certainly, I'm certainly more likely to read a really good graphic novel than, than I am a, reread a really good graphic novel than I am a, a, a prose book. Mm-hmm. It's just it's easier to, to pick up to get mm-hmm. back into. Um, but I do. I ask myself this every so often. I certainly ask myself this every time I move, which is why am I keeping these objects around, you know? Is it is it so that when we entertain people and they come over, they can be impressed by my book collection? I mean, that's probably part of it. Yeah, well, part of it is also, yeah, just showing people your book, books, and because, you know, you, you hang around friends who are curious about the same kinds of things you are, so they generally are interested. I have a, yeah. I have a friend who comes over who likes the same kind of books I do, and whenever he comes over, I'm always saying, oh, look at this one and yeah. this one, and especially comic books because you can read the... Yeah, art exactly. so quickly it's like oh yeah that looks cool I and you can get just that. you can just look at it yeah you don't even yeah and you yeah know, you that's know what I mean by read it's instantaneous yeah. like that's something I want yeah so so yeah that's that's I mean that's the thing that makes me never want to move again is how many books I've got they're they're so heavy yeah do do you you know as as somebody who I who has a lot of books and I assume a lot of pretty much everything else do you have a do you have a clutter problem. I do have a clutter problem, and it's like, yeah, I, I hate it. it it's, uh, I've got too many books. I've got, like, kind of the perimeter of my home office is now stacks of books. Yeah. And my, my wife hates it. Yeah. I've got to come up with a solution. I, yeah, I, I, I had a problem, too, with, um, I actually bought a, a friend of mine ran a, uh, a really, really fantastic comic store in, uh, in Caldwell Hill in Brooklyn called Rocket Ship. In what what part of town uh, was it? Co- Cobble Hill. It's in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, rocket ship. It closed like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, really sad. But one of the upsides of that is I got a long-awaited part of my collection, which was a spinner rack. Cool. So I've got. I've actually now now I have two. I had. A, I had a, the other one's not as good. I had a, there was a bookstore went out of business, and I've got uh, converted Cliff's Notes for. But but you know they're they're. They're housing my they're housing my mini comics and my zines and those ones, those ones are especially hard to deal with. And I'm I'm you know you were you were pretty ensconced in the zine culture for a while, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, <clears throat> during one of my purges, probably between moving, I got rid of probably seventy or eighty percent of my comics, yeah. and I just dumped them into the recycling bin. I mean, my zines dumped them in the recycling bin. I kept what I considered the cream, but. It's one of the few times I regret throwing something away. Usually I don't care, but now I w- wish I had even the crappy zines because that was like such a part of my life. Yeah, and it's and it's I, I I think it's of all the things I own, of all the of all the records I own, of all the the books I own, this is one. It, this might sound a little silly, but it's one of the few things. It's probably the only thing I own many comics and zines where I feel like I'm kind of serving as an archivist right now. You know, mm-hmm. these are we're we were speaking about ephemera earlier and these are things that you know I, I assume in a lot of cases the people who printed them originally don't have anymore there, you, yeah. you might, there might be some back issues of bling bling that you don't have right yeah I have like I have one copy of issue number one yeah. and the only reason I have it is because 
my mother-in-law had a copy of it and i said i'm gonna i have to steal this back yeah. from you <laughs> yeah I, yeah and i you know i it's it's one again it's one thing because it because they're not mass produced and it's one thing i you know I, I think that maybe at some point it'll be valuable to somebody i think to so these products yeah especially because at the time they weren't really considered collectible yeah anything that anything that's labeled collectible never is you know yeah. like the yeah. things that are valuable are like old cereal boxes mm-hmm. because everybody threw them away yeah. So then if you want one to yeah. recapture Baseball your Baseball cards are only collectible up to a certain year, right? Right. Once the market figured out that they could make money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was it. Limited edition. Yeah. 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 Anything that says limited edition on it. Probably, probably <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like the Franklin Mint plate. <laughs> limited <laughs> to 100 yeah. firing days. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think a plate has ever accrued value in the history of this. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Where... Um, and this is this is this is for me as much as anybody else. I'm I'm really curious about um, as we're speaking of, of zines. Um, what, what was the transition process like? Was was Boing Boing a print zine up until the day it became a website? Uh, there was a little bit of overlap. So um, I was working at Wired, and at that time, it like around ninety three, ninety four, there were a couple of really big independent zine distributors one was called fine print and the other was called desert moon okay what was last gasp was sort of last gasp i think they might have been doing some zine distribution but they weren't distributing our our zines but these guys were getting into all of the tower records and and was like tower records used to be amazing remember zines and tower records huge zine racks of everything you can imagine i loved going in there and so they were like just kept on placing orders and orders and I noticed that the uh, the checks were like slowing down and getting smaller, and I'm like, I'm just kind of not that great of a business person, so I just kind of ignored it and pushed it aside. But they ended up like going bankrupt, owing Boing Boing like probably thirty thousand dollars in in. That's a that's yeah. a staggering number for for photocopies. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Well, Boing Boing was growing at the time, yeah. like around I think issue. Fourteen. The the print run was seventeen thousand five hundred, which is wow. big for a, a Ab- zine. Absolutely. And we had like color covers and it was offset printed and everything. And so when that happened, um, the 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 distribution network dried up and, and orders pretty much became tiny. And so we moved. We and so I was working at Wired. A friend of mine registered boingboing.com. Someone who worked at Wired registered boingboing.com, and I just started kind of throwing articles up there well, that's a, it's just a little bit of a sidetrack but how did net become the oh yeah site because i forgot to uh <laughs> <laughs> i forgot to and a design company in washington dc snapped it up it was called boing boing.com yeah and so then uh so i did one more issue of boing boing with a print run of a thousand and uh it was just sent out to people by in the mail and uh it was a lot of fun to do i loved it it was great doing it but and then, and then you know, as the web, the tools for publishing on the web became easier and easier. Yeah. It just made sense to do it that way. And I just thought the audience is so huge for potential audience is so much bigger. Seventeen thousand five hundred seemed big for a zine, but you know, it's it's easier to get a, orders of magnitude yeah. more online. Of course, now I'm missing the the print yeah. days, and I'm thinking I should read I, that would do another amazing. issue. I, I think so. And I, I I've actually. I have been like slowly working on it and have 
commissioned some articles. People have written some things. I have yeah. some art for it and That's things great. like that. So it'll eventually happen. Okay. Um, was I mean, seven, yeah, again, seventeen thousand is, is is a huge number. Uh, was, was there any point? I mean, obviously, you kind of crested and the, the internet came along. But was there any point where it was like this is this is my job? Like this is you know that that. This is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going it was to be the kind of. It was kind of. I mean, we were. It, it was always a making a little bit of money. Like I was working as a mechanical engineer. My wife and I. We owned a house in Boulder, Colorado, and I was getting sick of being an engineer. Yeah. And so we said, let's just try to make Boing Boing a going concern. So yeah. we sold the house. And That's crazy. We sold the house and used that money, and then we moved to, to California. We were in Colorado. Moved to California. Basically, like, lived off of the house money plus what little money Boing Boing was bringing in. And I would get, like, jobs here and there. Like, um, Billy Idol saw Boing Boing at the zine and, like, loved it and called me on the phone. And because I think I had my phone number and he's like, you know, this this is brilliant. Uh, I need someone to design my record cover. I don't like who's doing it for me right now. And so I... Lived really close to him, it turns out, in Los Angeles. So I, like, hopped on my motorcycle and went over there, and he's, like, played me tracks from his new album that he was calling Cyberpunk at the uh, recommendation of Brett Leonard, the director of the movie Lawnmower Man. And so I actually designed the album cover and, like, did all the ad copy for it and designed all the singles and the video box. He was, he was a lot of fun to work with. Yeah. He was actually a, a really cool guy. Really? Okay. Yeah, he was like, know it. He was into, like, gaming miniatures, and yeah, he was, wow. yeah... He, he and and uh, you know the, the real Billy Idol as a person, very polite. Uh, Carla would come up with me to his house and hang out, and he was always you know very nice to her, and yeah. you know making us tea and things like that. And he he had a, it was uh, he he kind of would tell me you know like Billy Idol was like the name of the company that yeah. he was a figurehead of, and you know it was like just this this bubble of kind of. Persona, a character. Yeah, it was a character. He yeah. was playing a character. Yeah, I think he he once told William Gibson, you know, uh, it's Disneyland and it's my turn to put on the Mickey Mouse costume. But anyway, so, the, so the, studded, <laughs> the studded leather jacket, as yeah, it were. yeah, exactly. So anyway, that, that as a, that was a side story. Where I sing, oh, so that was bringing in some money doing that because I had quite a bit of work with him. And so Boing Boing never was really generating its own money. And then Wired called mm-hmm. and asked if I wanted to work. So we moved to San Francisco. But we wanted to keep Boing Boing going. So Carla took over editorship and wired, uh, let Carla move down like a lower floor of the building that was wired was in south of Market. So we kept Boing Boing going there. And it was making a little money from yeah. advertising and stuff. But, I mean, we, we would have been like starving if we would have just had that, that, only that. Yeah. It wasn't until we did it online and it got big enough to get advertising that... It turned into something that we could live on. I can't. I, you know, I, I can't begin to imagine do, do, taking that risk on risk on something like that. I mean, especially on on zines, which have never <laughs> never been lucrative. I yeah. probably there's maybe, especially now, what two or three people maybe living off of it. Uh-huh. That had to be an incredibly difficult decision. Yeah, you know, it wasn't that hard for some reason, especially when we didn't. We don't have kids. When you don't have kids, it's easier to make those kinds yeah. of decisions to do things. And my wife and I are kind of, we, we are a little better at it now, but we used to just make snap decisions. Like, uh, 
the first time I was an engineer, I just all of a sudden told my wife, I hate my job. And so I quit like a month later. And we just like lived in Asia for five months. And when I graduated, I was in a band. When I graduated from college, I was in a band. I Instead of going to work, I just went to London and, yeah. and played in the band. So I, I, I am not afraid of, of trying things. It's a little harder now that we have kids and we yeah. have to like make sure that they're fed and everything like that. But I encourage anybody who doesn't to to just take some risks. Yeah, to take risks and just yeah. try things that are interesting to you. Yeah. Well, you and you've 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 continued that uh, to to a degree, and and uh, you know I think this is one of the things that you and I have in common, where um, we need a lot of things going on at one time. We need to be doing a lot of. Things. <laughs> I noticed you do that yeah. too. <laughs> you know, it's so it's so easy to get to to get um, to to get sort of frustrated, and you know, to just just doing the, the same thing day in day. Out. Yeah, is that, is that why? Is that why you've got you know you've got boing boing you've, you've got make um, you've, cool you've got tools. all these podcasts you've got like probably what two or three four podcasts yeah a few podcasts now I think three uh, yeah I think it's like you we probably have that novelty gene where yeah new shiny new things yeah. and possibilities and new tools and technologies yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to find out and learn about them like I. I've been like I saw uh, that great video you made of Reggie Watts talking about all of his musical gear, mm-hmm. and he has one of the the OP1 synthesizers that yeah. Teenage Engineering makes. Yeah, and I've have been wa- looking at those for the last couple of weeks, and it's like they're like nine hundred bucks, but it's like I want one so bad. But the thing is, I'll probably toy with it for a while and not do anything with it after. Yeah, do do you make music still? Uh, a little bit, but not too much like I'll do the theme songs for the podcast okay. that I do and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Do you do I have not in a long time. Mm-hmm. I have got a dusty guitar sitting around. Uh-huh. Um, Who did, where did you get the theme music for your podcast for for this one? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh I actually I I I I had, I had a friend make a bunch of other podcast themes but that one um uh the way the podcast came about, well, the, the 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 short story is that I actually just went online and I think I spent twenty five dollars for a, a forever. Oh, okay, uh, a, li- a royalty free license. Yeah, I, I was I was on a plane with an incredibly slow Boingo connection or GoGo connection, uh-huh. um, going through every single one of those uh, to find I think the kind of the perfect. <laughs> I want something. I wanted something kind of surfy, something kind of jaunty. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was a case of uh, <clears throat> I had an, I had had another I had had another podcast um, with with two friends. It was kind of a it was a comedy podcast that we were doing. And, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a you know they were they were kind of unhappy with. I think we got to like a certain level of popularity, and mm-hmm. that was kind of as far as it went. Uh-huh. So you know we we had a good 20, 20 episode run, and um, I wanted. And, and and like you said, you know, you know, kind of toying around with new technology. I mean, I've had uh, at least a dozen different podcasts over the years. Some have lasted longer than others. Um, you know, addressed like different different things that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, the Crosshatch had a had a had a podcast for a while. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's a nice thing about podcasting is that the barrier of entry is so low that you can mess around for a little while and then just move on to the next thing uh-huh yeah um, that's true yeah but th- but this th- th- this particular one is is an example of um i don't know i, I think for for oh for a long time i was not interested 
not interested, but but kind of focused on not gimmick so much as an angle, mm-hmm. a, as um, you know what. And I've always approached things like this. You know, why would anybody listen to me talking to somebody if there's a million of those? So I did a show called Paying News for a while, which was solely revolved around the conceit of bad jobs that people had had talking uh-huh. about them. Um, but this one that was just good. Yeah, but it, it was, and you know, but but you, it, it ran out of steam after a while because mm-hmm. you, you hear the same stories. Over right, and over again. And right. You, you sitting there just prompting the other person five times a show to just mention another job is not that interesting yeah so this was yeah. um we, we've talked about this a little bit but this this was you know my attempt to really take advantage of the of what the medium offers in that i think the vast majority of podcasts are developed in the radio style because a lot of them are you know all the popular podcasts are npr shows anyway mm-hmm. so everybody is holding to that old model yeah and so people are back announcing why are you know why are you back announcing why are you doing pulling all these these other things out of radio why are you keeping segments super short when mm-hmm. you've got you know it's you know scott mcleod what scott mcleod called mm-hmm. the the infinite canvas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know why not just put something out there and if people are interested they'll listen to it yeah i think that's that's uh, that's really interesting and uh I, I think podcasts, it's still not nearly mature, and yeah. people are going to figure out all sorts of things for it. Um, and I, yeah, I, I love the format of, of your podcast where it's just you having a conversation with someone. It's an old one, but don't you love to, like, one of, one of the things I like to do is hear someone, like if I'm on a plane and I'm like, trying to sleep and then you all of a sudden hear the people sitting next to you having yeah. a conversation yeah. you get to hear what they're talking about and you don't have to like expend the energy to yeah. participate in the conversation and sometimes they're talking about interesting things even if it's not interesting in a way it's still fun to listen to yeah and, you learn and, about them and, you know and, and you can hear the same conversation a thousand times but different people are going to bring, bring very different things to it. And that's the nice thing about the airplane or the airport, right? Is that you're literally getting people from all over the place. Yeah. It's an easy way to get a different perspective. Yeah. To talk to somebody from from a different area. Yeah. So talking to people or or listening, it's like just an old thing that that always works. uh, When I flew in and landed on Friday night, I ran over to Junior's Deli in Times Square because I like getting the cheesecake there. And I sat down at the at the counter and a guy sat down at the same time as me he's like this about 70 years old this guy and i uh had a great time talking to him he was pointing that they have a painting of ebbets field on the wall and he talked about how when he was younger like in 57 he would go to ebbets field he lived in brooklyn grew up there so the ticket price with three dollars on it that's how much i paid he told me all about his life what he does he's a lawyer disabled wife who and, and anyway it was like it was a great experience and i was thinking this would have been a great Podcast, man. I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about the 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 two the two models that I'm really interested in right now. Maybe I shouldn't be giving this out on my podcast. Uh, the you two, can edit it out. Yeah, it's the, too good of an idea. The, well, <laughs> the two models that I'm really interested in right now are, are Studs Terkel, who wrote mm-hmm. Working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and Charles Kuralt, um, who 
you know, mm-hmm. did he, he was this, the CBS Sunday morning, but he yeah. did on the road, and he was the guy yes. who traveled around the Winnebago and talked to different people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody's doing that really well right now. Yeah. That would be that would be really good, I think. Yeah, it's, it's just it, yeah. it's, it's talking. I mean, that, this is this might be the one thing you know. I'm, you know, I've I've, I've uh, I'm I'm older now, and I've 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 got a I've got a girlfriend now, so you know, I I I don't necessarily go to bars for the reasons mm-hmm. I used to. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh huh. But that sounded really shady in ways. Anyway. <laughs> um, and you know, and and I know, you know, I know a, a fair amount of people in New York. I mean, that was just you know early on. It, it, it's kind of that's a place you go to. It's a place you socialize. It's, yeah, is in bars here. Yeah. Um, but this is a, you know we found some good places in Queens, and that's what keeps me going back to them. Are there's nothing there's nothing like having a conversation with an old man in a bar. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, there's a. a He's, I think he's a friend of mine now. I'd, I'd say um, he's a gentleman in, in the bar next to us, and he just, a, you know, he looks looks older than he is. He's got you know long, long, long gray hair. Um, maybe a little intimidating to approach the first time, but you know, got to know him over the over, over the months, and came out recently that he had seen the Velvet Underground play live. Oh I mean, wow! You know, these are <laughs> it's it, it's. You don't expect it. I mean, you know, I guess age does interesting things to us. You know? Yeah. It's, it's this kind of, it's this great equalizer. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, age is, is interesting. I, I can't remember if it was, I think Chekhov said something like, the most surprising thing that can happen to, that happens to a person is the realization that they've grown old. It's <laughs> pretty amazing. This is a, it's kind of a bummer. It's yeah. a bummer uh, topic to, but, um, to end on. But, but back to well, I, I just want to go back to the, the yeah. circle thing quickly. One of the things that appeals to me about working was that it was just there were, studs wasn't right. He was just taking what they said. Yeah, and he pro- he probably cleaned up the sure. cleaned up. But I love that presentation. It reminds me of a podcast called "This Is Actually Happening." Mm. You, it's a really good it, one. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just. It's just people talking about some extraordinary experience that happened in their life, either long-term or short-term. I think the latest one is someone whose father started wearing women's clothes and, like, what it did to them, what it did to their family. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's good, and it's done in, in the working kind of way. You don't hear one word from the narrator yeah. besides the, maybe an introduction but they, I don't even think they announced the name of the person talking, so it's kind of anonymous confessional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that was something I was trying to do here. I mean, you, there's there's no intro at the top of the show. Yeah, right. And that's yeah. the idea. The idea cool. is the um, is yeah, waking up on an airplane, or even <laughs> that's like good, waking up on an airplane. Yeah, or or, or you know, turning, uh, you know, how many how many great things have you discovered? I mean, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but um, driving across the country. And just flipping through the AM stations, and that, that's how I discovered Art Bell for the first time. Oh, cool! <laughs> that, you know, I had uh, I was working a really late night radio show, like not re- yeah, I think it was like twelve to three AM. So I would get you know I would I would get off like three thirty four, mm-hmm. driving back home, and very fascinated with radio. I'm still fascinated with radio, but you know it's for better or for worse not the the, the path I went into and. Would just spin through the dial, and I heard a really interesting story about a werewolf. <laughs> you know, and that's uh, from Art Bell on from Art, Art Bell from, uh-huh. from coast to coast, and that that get that gets back to that original idea of um, 
sometimes it's better not to have that curation. Yeah. Sometimes it's better just to stumble on something. And I, I don't, although I, I just named the, the I, I named a web service that does exactly that, stumble upon, but, but it's, the, the, the internet is, is so massive and there's so much stuff out there and there should be the possibility of discovering things at random. And maybe you do. Maybe you have one of those nights where you go to, to Wikipedia and you end up mm-hmm. like 50 pages deep. Yeah. But um, I just, I don't think there's a, there, there's a good method for just falling on it. Everything is built around curation, right? Everything yeah. is built around, even, even, even Google. I mean, Google is built around curation. All yeah. the social networks are. Yeah. Because you want to find somebody that you trust is going to present yeah. you with something that's relevant to your interests. So there's value in that. Yeah. But uh, I think people like you and me also, as kind of collectors or curators, we are willing to like just spin the ra- the wheel of randomness and see what we can find because yeah. that's that's just fun to do. Yeah. It's it's. I'd, I'd like to get your take on this actually because um, this is something I I grapple with a little bit too. Is you know I I I, I do do some 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 writing outside, but. Um, you know this this idea of maybe not 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 being an artist the the idea of the the, the role and the the value of of the curator and it and you know I do I do have some sort of existential crises around this you know in that like yeah obviously it's important it's nice to have somebody out there picking it but you know it's, how much value ultimately is there in in what I'm doing as a curator you know I mean wouldn't it be great if we could all be the people making that yeah, that art that we're writing and talking about. Yeah, but you know, I think that the the fact is that not everyone wants to do that. They have other things that are important to them, and they are happy to outsource certain things. You know, like um, uh, the the EFF. I'm I I let the EFF outsource my my rage about you know. <laughs> yeah, have you seen Julie's here? Actually, have you have you had a chance? Oh to? no, not yet. Yeah, yeah, she's cool. she's on stage right now. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a certain things. So some people want to outsource their curation. Find good books for me to read. You know, recommend yeah. comics. I love your your comics rack column for Boing Boing. I I find great. It's the greatest stuff in job there. in the world, right? I mean, you have the you you might have the greatest job in the world. I, I get a little pieces of that sometimes when when you you let me write for you, but you get to enjoy the things you love and, and talk about it. It's them. fun, yeah. I'm, I'm really feel fortunate that that happened, you know. <laughs> the kind of stuff that I was interested in as a 13 to 15-year-old teenager. The world came around to you. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. I'm ready to slap some Frazetta posters on my wall again. <laughs> <laughs> some, black, some black lights. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That was uh, was Mark Freundfelder of Make uh, Magazine, of Cool Tools, and of course the uh, the co-founder of this very website, uh, net and the the host of uh, of many fine podcasts in the Boing Boing Network. Uh, Geek. Uh, pretty sure that's pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. I probably probably should have asked him before I actually you know put this thing on record. Uh, Apps for Kids. I'm positive that that's how that's announced. Happy Mutants. Uh, about fifty for fifty on the pronunciation of that one. All part of the uh, Boing Boing Podcast Network, as is uh, this podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, thanks so much to Mark for, for taking the time. Um, we actually recorded that at the second Engadget Expand event in uh, in New York City. Mark very, very kindly agreed to co-host the Insert Coin Awards with me for 
the second time. A really, really fun uh, crowdfunding competition. Um, so uh, thanks as always to Mark. Always, always a pleasure uh, sitting down and, and talking to him. Uh, thanks to uh, thanks to everybody else at Boing Boing for hosting the show. Thanks to thanks to Brian for editing the show together uh, as as per usual. Um, thank, thanks to you. Thanks to you for listening. If you if you liked what you heard, you can rate us on iTunes. Um, you can send us some feedback. We've got a, uh, an email account. It's rolcast at gmail.com. Uh, I've got a Tumblr. You can follow over there and do other things that you can do on Tumblr. That's also rolcast, but that one's .tumblr.com. Uh, and uh, I guess that's about it for this week. We will uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of RIYL. 